0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another very special episode special episode of Movie Mumble, the uh, second in our sequence of Halloween films. Uh, we all got together and decided to each pick a film that we associate with Halloween. Uh, you, these will air during the month of October um, between our two regular episodes. They're still on the first of the month. These are going to fill in the gap. Uh, last week, Joel, you brought us *The Shining*. Boy, so this week it was my turn, and I brought us *Donnie Darko*, Ooh. the director's cut specifically. And I, I'm, I, I went back and forth on which one to show you. And then now that I showed you the director's cut, I almost wish I hadn't. You know? Now that you've
1: explained and I've seen it and I know it was added, I'm also feeling like I should have seen the okay. original film. Then I'm sorry. I apologize. No, I. Dude. Mm-hmm. So, so Joel had never Jordan seen Les. this before. Right.
0: Um, Tim, you had, it had been a while. I,
1: and I
2: hadn't seen the director's cut. Okay. Yeah, I, I probably haven't yeah. seen it in years.
0: But yeah. and I, In that case, I'm almost glad I showed you the director's cut. Then. Mm-hmm. I don't know. One of you gets a win. One is One of satisfying. you gets a loss. Yes, yeah. yeah, so too bad. <laughs> well, um, I showed
1: a movie you didn't like at all last <laughs> week, so uh, yeah, I guess you're fair. punishing me. Slap, slap. <laughs> no, Here's more scenes than you need.
0: Tim's just sitting there with his popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. Neither yeah. of you will like my movie. <laughs> uh, um, but anyway, uh, uh, so Danny Darko is, um, I, it's weird, to, to, the movie almost feels old, because it came out in 2001, which is long enough ago 80s. to be long, but then it's set in the 80s, so it feels... Longer than it is, but uh, anyway, it's set in the eighties. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and his sister Maggie, and Patrick Swayze, and Noah Wiley, and Drew Barrymore, and uh, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen,
1: and <laughs> for some reason, and, and, um, <laughs> I,
0: who's the, his mom's actress name? I never remember.
1: I Can't remember. She, stands with a fist. She's great. She played great. the president in
0: Star Galactica. <laughs> I just so much, so much talent in this film. Uh, Donnie is this troubled high school teenager um, who is woken one night by a vision of Frank six-foot man in a bunny suit who leads him out of his house as a jet engine crashes through his roof, which would have killed him if mm-hmm. he'd been there. Uh, Frank also tells him the world is going to end in uh, 28 days, I think it mm-hmm. is. Um,
1: there's a lot of horror movie references. 28 oh, yeah. days. All over the place. Shining. Uh, Evil dead. And,
0: and then, you know, Donnie would have been killed if he'd been there, and the jet engine, there's no plane crash. It's
3: there's just, there's just an threat. engine.
0: Which is, you know, mystery number one. And so as the film goes, Donnie's continues to experience visions and, and gain interesting abilities as his town both sort of simultaneously proceeds with normal life and falls apart mm-hmm. and uh, leading up to a, a time travel related fate of sorts a thing that really he could not escape so I, I don't know I guess but there's my description. Oh. You're welcome. <laughs>
1: uh, what there's you the definitive think? one. <laughs> yeah. what, what Critics you, can put away their yeah. pencils. <laughs> what do
0: y'all think? I, I know, Tim, already, you already said you liked the film before. Yeah. Um, you haven't seen it in a while. Mm, right. What was your impression coming back to it after a while, and, um, and with the director's cut in particular? Uh, I'm not well, skipping you, Joel. I just want to give you a little more time to gather. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, well, yeah, first of all, with, with the director's cut, it was... Uh, I didn't really recognize many scenes that, that were like, oh, this is new. But, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, like like you told us, the, the, the sort of the, the bits of, from the chapters of Yeah, there's book. a book
0: within the film called The Philosophy of Time Travel. We get some excerpts from a text imposed on the screen for us, and that is new to the director's cut.
2: Yeah, and that, that made a lot of sense of things where it was just kind of like, oh, why is this happening? Why is this? It just kind of like, I don't know, yeah, created this this sort of narrative for some of the... Solidified the, the details. Yeah, it's like a different, different kind of frame. Harping on Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, well, one of the things, and, and Joel, I know you wrote a lot, but I, I, this was sort of one of the things that, um, I don't know if, you, if if this part was what you, you had written down, but this was one of the things back when, when I first saw this, my days at Blockbuster. Woo! <laughs> we were supposed to get a bell. We need to get one. I'm yeah. sorry. I'll bring it Ding! next time. <laughs> um, yeah. Or a tambourine. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so you know, and and I know that there have been a lot of a lot of theories, a lot of things people have noticed, sort of you know, mm-hmm. pieced together. So this was one of the the first ones, and this was it came out what 2000, 2001. 2001? Okay, October yeah. two thousand one. Right. Yeah. So this was this and must the, have been the
0: jet engine through the house and the the time travel related bit where we see people in distress on a plane are the reason they greatly scaled back the release in October two thousand and one mm-hmm. <laughs> because a film with plane related death is not right. exactly the most tasteful thing to release at that time. Um, it, I don't know if it ever got a, the originally intended wide release. The advertising was way cut back too. it, it sort of it has since become a cult hit, and that it is one of those films that has done much better for itself outside of theaters than in. Mm-hmm. But we can't say how it would have done in theaters because it didn't get a fair shake. Yeah. Um, but yeah, two thousand one. So yeah. I'm sorry, please.
2: No, yeah. So so I think that would that yeah um, yeah that, I was definitely working at Blockbuster at that time when it came out. So I probably wouldn't have have seen it you know, had I not been working there, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I remember, you know, this was the 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 Internet existed, but it wasn't, I feel like we didn't have our, our, our smartphones attached to our hand where right. it's like any time a question comes up, like, okay, Google it, yeah. IMDB or, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Wikipedia. So, you know, I think it was a, it was a little more, more fun. Like you had to do a bit more, uh, you know, theorizing or like scavenger hunting if you had a theory about something like this. You know, there was more... Um, more more work, more discussion, and said, you know, because I, you know, as soon as this is done, I almost feel like I'm going to go on the internet and just scour everything having to do with Donnie Darko to gather up the rest of that information for myself. Um, but I remember one of the theories we talked about at the time. Uh, one of the guys I worked with was telling me he was talking to some of his friends, and he's like, "Oh yeah, one of my friends had this theory that it's actually based on the Book of Revelation from the Bible." Hmm. And a lot
0: of religious reference in the film. For
2: sure. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> so the one of the things in as a child, because I had for some reason read the Book of Revelation, that was like the only book of the Bible I've. It's one of read the more entertaining high- ones. That's, oh, that's it's fair, so good! Yeah, it's so good. I mean, so, you know, so I was kind of thinking through, and dragons, right, and I'm just like, great. I'm sure, tra- yeah, no, I'm thinking of all those of all those like big points, like four horsemen, like, and I'm like, none of that's really there. I'm like, that's not quite hmm. sitting well with me. Like, I I get the whole thing. Okay, if you're trying to. You know, and I think he was saying like, "Oh, like Donnie Darko is supposed to be like the second coming of Jesus and all this mm. stuff." Mm. And I was like, "I don't, yeah, that's I don't a little know." Much, I think. Yeah, so I was so I was kind of like, "Okay," and then a few. I think it was, this must have been soon enough later where the connection was still in my mind. I watched the film, which was, you know, I think highly controversial at the time, The Last
1: Temptation of Christ, which is showing at the theater that they exactly. Go to.
2: And I watched it, and this was after I thought of that. I saw that that was playing as part of the double feature, and that's what kind of what clinched it for me.
0: Yeah, so Last I, Temptation and Evil Dead,
2: right? Yeah. So, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with that that film in particular, what, what the whole deal was. So when it came out, it was very controversial. It's Willem Dafoe, right? Yeah, Willem Dafoe plays oh, Jesus. Yeah. and, and Harvey Keitel plays, plays right, Judas. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, so see what... that movie for those reasons alone. refresh my memory.
0: What else have I seen Harvey Keitel in? Uh, Reservoir Dogs? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> I was going to go National Treasure. <laughs> this is like the name <laughs> is tickling my brain. But okay, yeah. Um. So...
2: So I saw, so with that movie, and part of why it was controversial, you know, I had heard from people, you know, like the, you know, the the churches were upset about it, because like, oh, in that movie, you know, Jesus marries a woman, and it's about him falling in love with a woman, I was just like, oh, so it's like this kind of love story, and it kind of painted it in this very watered down mm-hmm. kind of, it, that seems kind of lame, like I just wasn't interested, <clears throat> but when I actually watched it, it's about so much more than that, what it is, is it's this scene of Willem Dafoe as Jesus, about to die on the cross and this quote-unquote angel comes up to him and says oh you don't you don't have to die god says you know you've you've shown that you're gonna make your say you don't have to die on the cross you can come down so he comes down off the cross and then just like lives his life out as a regular man mm-hmm. after that point and he ends up like i think him and like mary magdalene like they do end up getting married but that's like this small plot point is that like well if he didn't die what would have happened right.
0: That's and he kind of
2: yeah and he kind of lives out this whole Save this whole his
0: sacrifice and rewarded with a mortal life
2: yeah you know and, and, and he kind of gets to you get to see what happened like had he not died and all this stuff and you know he's interacting with all these people and I think at one point like someone's making reference to like the person who died on the cross or whatever and I think it's almost as if like they're insinuating that they still created the myth around that story even though he didn't uh, sure. actually die because like people needed that mm-hmm. but But there still wasn't the same effect, like it was more of, um, I think it became more of like an underground thing. So anyway, little by little throughout his life, he kind of sees that like, okay, I've been living this basic life. and, And he kind of, this angel comes back to him every now and then, kind of being like, I remember one of the lines is like, he meets this other woman after, you know, Mary Magdalene and like the angel kind of tells him like, Oh, you know, there's, there's only one woman, you know, like just saying like, you know, all women are the same women or one. So, you know, you're married to her, but feel free to be, and you know, that's kind of where you get this sense of like, okay, like that, I feel like that's not cool. Like that's that's so like, you're kind of, yeah, you're kind of seeing that this isn't actually like this angel from God coming down to say like, Oh, you, you've proven your love. You don't have to go through all this. Mm -hmm. And it finally goes to like the end of his life. He's on his deathbed. And Harvey Keitel as Judas comes up to him, and he's just like, what the hell? He's like, you know, and and you get this sort of really cool sort of twist on that story where he's like, he's like, you know, when this whole thing started, he's like, you you know, you you begged me, you pleaded with me you said, I'm not strong enough to do this I need you to go turn me in Like we were best friends and you made me make this promise to you to, to, to turn you in because you needed to fulfill this whole thing and you couldn't do it on your own, you weren't strong enough to turn yourself in, I had to do that for you and then you don't even go through with it and it's this whole thing and it goes through like they're fighting and he's like, you know, you were supposed to be part of this huge big thing and you abandoned it and like everyone else as a result of this is now a mess, like we don't have this this thing you were supposed to start, this you know, this religion that was supposed to save all these people and make them feel like, okay, there's hope for this, that and the other thing And he's like, What the hell? And it's like You know, Willem Dafoe is this old man just kind of like thinking back on that, like, you know, and basically at the end saying, like, no, like, I want, you know, I I want that life back. Like, I don't want to live as a normal man. I want to die to sacrifice everyone. I want everyone to be saved. And it snaps back to him back on
1: the cross. Gotcha. And he dies. So it's a tangential reality in the same way. Yeah. I was, and, I was, and
0: here I was about to make a joke about "Welcome to the Temptation Podcast." Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but dang, you turned it back. Right? No, it's, so it's, so that yeah. was the thing yeah. is
2: like whether it's whether in that sense whether you're saying this actually happened and then it went back in time, or it was sort of all in his mind, like the devil tempting him, like this is what your life could be, and he eventually decides, like, no, I'm going to die
1: here, and this is this is it. Because um, that's the thing, Donnie ends up being this martyr. Yeah, having yeah. died, he See, saves. You know, these other two people, all yeah, the these diet. other people, whether he, he would have had
0: to or not, is its own right but, discussion. Well, yeah. But yes, um,
1: but it also but allows parents. the pedophile to continue to ped and the yeah. like. It's a really interesting kind of
0: that when you turn end. back the clock, it turns back. The good you've done and the bad you've right, done, right, all together.
1: There's a really interesting sequence, you know, kind of going over the faces of all the different as characters. They wake up, yeah. As and they wake
0: thanks up. to the director's cut, we get that text of the book about, as you know, after right. after the time travel bit has happened and everything's been resolved, the manipulated will wake up. They will be tormented by what happened and during that time in their dreams, right. but some will not remember. <clears throat> uh, speaking of which, Patrick Swayze, in that moment, it's maybe four or five seconds of him. Mm-hmm. Patrick's sleazy <laughs> yeah. feeling emotion as he wakes up and there's more raw power in that four seconds of film than there is in some entire movies like holy shit no Swayze's great he's yeah. you know I mean he, he's great but everyone else is great in that whole film but we always hit that, that particular moment and I see him emoting there and just oh, like that one just
1: that's a thing oh, like somebody incredible. as likable as Swayze like to play that to role to play a pedophile mm-hmm. well. yeah mm.
2: Well, that's the thing I feel like probably most pedophiles have to be likable you know it's like
3: that's it's, it's how they get you welcome to the podcast yeah. uh,
0: so we were so sorry I had to just sort of wrap, out, wrap around before we get too deep into the film we were talking about your impressions Tim and you you, you watched Temptation and you watched Donnie Darko and you were sort of felt that you like, were
2: talking although, about the revelation. It had religious imagery, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. but you felt it was less direct than your friend had thought.
2: Right. It was. It was more sort of like I, I would agree with you. Yeah. There. Wanting to There's wanting to imagery. Of, yeah.
0: But I, I don't think it's a direct biblical narrative.
2: Right. But as far as like that that narrative specifically, where hey, we're gonna pull you out of this situation, you mm-hmm. get to live your life, but through that journey, you realize no, I should have died back at that point, and then making the choice to go back and actually die at that point. Like, that whole portion of it. And, and like I said, like, you know, I've, I've definitely been accused for, like, oh, you read too much into things, just, you know, it's just a stupid movie, you know, whatever. But, like, the fact that they showed that as part of the Halloween double feature, like, I think, for me, that kind of clinched it, like... Mm. And, and not to say that that explains every detail in the film. There's obviously a bunch of stuff built around that. But to take that narrative, but then also build science into it, which I think was also one of the cool parts. Instead of it being this religious journey, it's like a
0: scientific journey. The artifact is made of metal. It's used to travel. Water is the barrier element. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing that
1: has a weird parallel is Evil Dead. Because we see that Evil Mm -hmm. Dead is playing, but Evil Dead 1 and 2 have this weird continuity. Because there's... They're both canonical, but to a certain point with what came after. Because 2 is... The beginning of the comedy series
0: of, well, not comedy, but the beginning of the, the sort of lighthearted Ash Slaughter's
1: right. It's of it's dead, more Madcap and Zany of Darkness, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Whereas the first one's a little more just straight just straightforward. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it's it they're pretty parallel stories, <laughs> but mm-hmm. different tangents. If mm-hmm. if we're going to use the same metaphor, mm-hmm. so it, I think it's interesting that the director included that film as well as some a franchise with this kind of continuity in question Mm -hmm. Bruce Campbell has talked about the idea that the continuity of the two films work if you watch the first one to a certain point and then he hits his head and then Evil Dead 2 happens Uh so it's like this really interesting meta (laughs) referential horror element thing I think that's really cool and I I wouldn't have thought that without the Last Mm -hmm. Testament or uh, Last Temptation Temptation. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: so then if I could just step back for a moment and ask Tim what you thought. What did you think, Joel? First time watcher.
1: It, it took me a while to get into this film. Yeah. And it's because I wasn't sure if it wanted to make love to John Hughes' films or <laughs> if it wanted to parody them. Because with the time lapse and the, the the graininess of the film and the kind of American suburbia setting and then the, the kind of high school tropes, all those things... It was tr- trying to get me to a John hughes place. And then, like I, I said it audibly to you guys, when we get the vision of... Well, it's this, this, the water and
0: the lockers. Well,
1: yeah, and it's almost this dystopic... It, it reminded me of Brazil, um, uh, Terry Gilliam's film. Mm-hmm. And he has these massive visions of these very surreal things. And I, I said, well, there, there's my end of this film. I'm now on board. Because yeah. it, it was taking...
0: And I don't blame you, because I, I am of the opinion or feeling that that film has a very lengthy prologue, and then our opening credits of sorts is that montage as Johnny arrives at school for the first day, mm-hmm. because if we go watch that again, that takes time to point us at every major player in the plot. Mm-hmm. The bully kid, Dan yeah. Seth Rogen, Mrs. Farmer, Patrick Swayze, Noah White, Wy- etc. It, it walks us through what looks on the surface like, oh, here are a bunch of people they're at this high school, it's the day's beginning. But it takes the time to swing by the faces mm-hmm. of every major player in the plot. It's kind that's of that's our overture, opening credits, right? Sure. That's our overture, and we don't get there until I, I don't know, like fifteen minutes in. Yeah, maybe not that long, maybe ten. But it's the film has begun before we even see that. Yeah, it sort of begins before it begins.
1: And the other thought that I had is that this film is so many different things. It's telling a lot of different narratives, and I, I, I told you guys at the end that I'm very satisfied with this ending. Mm-hmm. That. It 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 I do want to watch it again, but I'm also content mm-hmm. because there were all these threads, and if they were all tangential, then I'm I'm content with that being mm-hmm. uh, the the case, because I was getting bogged down in like the uh, uh, grandma death storyline and why is it taking yeah. him so long to interact with her, and then it's also a narrative about uh, mental illness mm-hmm. and his interactions with his therapist, and then. It's, it's also this high school drama about him meeting mm. a girl and
0: which is something I really like about this film that a lot of other films will will either leave out I guess at best or at worst to sort of stop from happening that even while the whole end of the world time travel plot is going on here life continues in this town and we see it continue to happen uh, depending sometimes it's, it's completely irrelevant to Donnie I mean, maybe that's part of the discussion. But you know, other other films, if they were busy telling this world in the narrative, they wouldn't bother to tell us, you know, the narrative about his younger sister's dance team, right, or whatever else was going on.
1: And that was a very interestingly shot yeah. segment of the film because it's juxtaposed yeah. with him setting. And, and before that, he's at at, at the, the mirror. mirror. Oh yeah. Like, um, they Frank, do a back
0: and forth Frank. juxtaposed shot with Frank at the mirror, yeah. and I think it's the PTA meeting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's at the mirror, right. and the the VTA meeting
1: is going on. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, and uh, Ford it having so many different subplots and things, and kind of leaving loose ends. With the ending, I feel like those loose ends are tidied up. Yeah. At least in my head, I because I, and, they're sort of,
0: they were results of the events that happened. So when the ending goes back, those events didn't happen anymore. The loose ends are no longer there.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's. it's satisfying which I don't Mm -hmm. think I've heard this film described as before Mm. um and I really like Gyllenhaal um Mm -hmm. he's always been in the conversation about uh who should play Moon Knight in a movie or a TV series oh that would be great I think they're they're trading on this this kind of depiction of mental illness as a a reason for that to be the case and I mean I I like him in pretty much everything I've seen him in Mm -hmm. um this, this was good. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And it was sinister without being terrifying. It, yeah. it definitely has a different kind of tension to it than The Shining. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure different from The Exorcist, which we'll watch <laughs> in a week. Actually, after this podcast, because we're doubling up <laughs> Which again. you'll listen to in a week. Yeah. No, I, I I really enjoyed it. And like I said, I kind of start. It took me a while to get into it, because yeah. I, I was... That's
0: entirely fair. Yeah. It's a slow-moving film. Any, to it any, anyway, right? You know?
1: To its credit, I think it captures the '80s really, really well. It didn't feel like something in '80s drag. It just felt like it was made in the yeah, '80s. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. that
0: one scene where where Patrick Swayze's character is outed with his kitty porn dungeon, and we how casually you say this? Well, I mean, I've watched the film a bunch of times, so there you go. But Even it, recently, you've we watched. see it. You know, we sort of see what's happening when the fire happens in the firefighter's shut up. We see Maggie Gyllenhaal watch it on the morning news. But she's taking a gap year, remember, so she's not in school. So oh that's then what that was. That's she right. mentions there's a line just on the phone, I took a year off so I could be with you. but um the unnamed Frank.
3: Who, who which turns out that, to be yep. Frank,
0: who turns out to yeah, have fingerprints all over this film. But um so when when they show up at school, we're watching Drew
1: Barrymore get fired and then I and you I said, said you made
0: the comment about, what about, talk about that, that other that? teacher who brought the pedophile into school but they don't know yet because right. it's the 80s yeah. and as they're celebrating something else someone walks up with a newspaper and, and that's, that's the, the first they hear of it yeah. which on the film is you know maybe five minutes apart from those two events but just yeah living in this world now oh, the yeah. idea that they didn't hear about oh, it right. for the whole overnight next morning's school begins was like oh it, it lends a certain amount of authenticity to the setting
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I was thinking about watching this was um Jimmy Stewart film called Harvey. Um, it's about... It, he also has a six-foot bunny rabbit that he's hallucinating. <laughs> but it's it's much... Because it's Jimmy Stewart, it's less sinister. It's yeah. like it's just his friend that he's interacting his, with the world. Would you,
0: so would you say that if you mix Harvey and Donnie Darko, you get Wilfred? <laughs>
1: probably, something like that. But it, it was just an interesting because that's kind of the context I was starting with. Is like, okay, this is kind of if we made that sinister, we're mm-hmm. talking about mental illness. We're talking about hallucinatory bunnies. We're it, it's it's an interesting context hallucinatory and, bunnies. and and the idea of this kind of like evolving place. stigma around mental illness. The idea that he thinks he's crazy. His parents don't really interact with it. They they're terrified of it. And mm-hmm. she's giving him placebo pills. More to uh, uh, placate his parents even than him right mm-hmm. that I, that's that's at least my impression of it is that they don't know what to do with him and the impression is that he's paranoid schizophrenic mm-hmm. so it, it's this idea of something that's not curable that can be helped with medication but it's it's an era that is kind of timid about mental illness and it's just an interesting interesting topic to also blend with
0: and yet we see these great scenes with his parents where even though they're sort of lost they still love him so no very that's much. that's
3: great they yeah.
1: really capture that like middle america oh, yeah. suburban <clears throat> bullshit that's, that scene like, you talked
0: about where the the teacher the therapist is telling the parents that she's going to increase his medication mm-hmm. and and his mom sort of smiles yeah. Of all things. She's comforting and says, "Okay, but I see I feel like her smile is a facade and as it, the conversation goes on it slips a little. That's but it's fair. like what else can I do but smile and say we'll keep trying to help my son right. because he's my son, you know, like a right. sort of a there's no other way forward but to keep trying." Right. Which is it's just beautiful. It's the, you know, the best the best family relationships keep trying. <laughs> I have
1: to say speak like this idea of the middle America's suburbia thing. Mm. One thing that movies always frustrated me as a kid that this does is it lets the kids have the last word in an argument with their parents (laughs) which is bullshit and never happened in my life Mm -hmm. to this day still doesn't happen. Well see
0: it happens with Donnie and his mom but I think it it, she lets it go for two reasons. Partly because of all the mental illness stuff going on and she's like trying to take a more calm approach Mm -hmm. and not be aggressive to him. A. And then B... He does wait till his door is shut, which is, I mean, depending on who to, either, you talk to, is either don't worse even, or better. <laughs> like, like he clearly doesn't think I heard, but also it sort of means like she sort of perceives it as something that like he needed to just get out. But no, didn't for sure, I think it's
1: highlighting sort of something thing. about both like, their characters. She
0: stops but, yeah. and thinks. Breeze, and then she keeps walking like
1: she makes the decision and then it segues into one of the greatest 80s type dad lines of oh all my time God, yeah. our son just called me a bitch you're not a bitch you're in. that was great like that guy is so proto 80s dad like that was that was great
0: that whole conversation with him and donnie too about like all these people full of shit yeah they're gonna be scared of you when you don't line up fall in line
1: with their bullshit but fuck him like, it's as like, he's drinking his whiskey or iced tea you can't tell it's early morning it's a
0: pretty big glass
1: but he's like, had a lot of shit going. he had a jet engine fall through his house oh yeah it's like he needs that drink I think yeah it's great
3: uh-huh.
0: so yeah you took a lot of notes this time Joel I, so when we started podcasting I was gonna try to take notes throughout the films we watched mm-hmm. and it's come and gone with me as, we, as we've done because some films I'm able to take notes and watch at the same time and some films, I just have to put the paper down and just watch yeah. the movie. Um, so I, I do it for some films, not for others. I didn't do it for this one because I've seen it a billion times. Yeah. But uh, just to sort of add some some history to note taking. Yeah, no, in for podcast. sure. But you, yeah, you have. Is that?
3: It's the just whole page? one page. Just the one page.
1: Well, no, it's two pages. You got not, two pages going uh, on there. That's all right. There. So I, I mean, I, it, I find it helps me kind of actively watch. Especially with this Coen Scotty it wouldn't have helped much. <laughs> but I think I did take some notes for that one. Um, so one thing I had noticed was there's two two moments in the film where the camera f- shifts its perspective. The idea of when he get the, when they leave yes. the school bus and they're leaving from the emergency exit <laughs> the in the back, back of the mm-hmm. bus. <laughs> the camera is turned. Uh, Horizontally, mm-hmm. And it, as he gets out of that doorway, it kind of shifts. I thought that was really interesting, and I wrote it down because I thought it might come back. And it does to a certain extent. We see, as Donnie's...
0: At the Halloween party? At the
1: Halloween mm-hmm. party, it shifts to that same angle and then flips all the way around. Mm-hmm. And it's a really strange kind of perceptual thing. I don't know if you guys had any theories about what those yeah, mean. I haven't
0: put any deep thought into that. I just like it a lot. Yeah. Some, One of the many things in this film that I look at and go, man, I should like think about this someday and then just enjoy the film and finish it.
1: Because for me, it was like it's a very interesting opening for a movie. For mm-hmm. him to discover he's on this windy mountain road falling he asleep in up, the, middle of, right, the in middle of the road. In the
0: middle of the road.
3: And, and he knows... He, he seems unconcerned. Get, right.
1: He seemed like this is not new yeah. shit. Yeah. But he also, there's kind of a throwaway line about him waking up further and further from home. Every
3: time I wake up further from my house. But
1: the next time we see him wake up in a strange place, it's, it's golf the golf course, which is, I would assume, closer to his home. Yeah. So that's a really interesting thing. And he, I mean, he could walk there rather than having to bike up. So that was interesting. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, off the
0: sleep golfing. Right,
1: <laughs> but then right after that, you kind of get this shift into like this '80s suburban thing. It's 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 almost a reframing of the film, and then when he gets off of the school bus, I almost feel like that camera move is telling you to adjust. This is where you are. This is yes. an '80s high school well, here's the frame movie. of reference.
0: We are waking up. We're laying sideways mm-hmm. underneath the back of the bus. Right. And We stand up and
1: so, vision goes straight. But I'm not sure what I mean. The, the other one seems to indicate it's getting closer and closer to that rift yeah. in time. That rift there
0: in perception. moment when he, when Frank first talks to him and he leaves his house sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. He, oh, it's the, the chandelier the door. We look up to the chandelier and look back down and as the door out. clicks shut yeah. and he slipped away without us noticing I li- I despite like that his slow lumbering
1: sleepwalk yeah. mm-hmm. that was really interesting um, some other stuff Oh, I was so excited to see the Destructors reference. Oh, yeah. also, okay, let, let's talk about that English class for a second.
0: So Drew Barrymore teaches this English class. Yeah,
1: and it's unclear when we first see her if she's a student or a teacher because she's like ever young. It's <laughs> just great. So, everybody who is waiting at the bus stop is it's in, in that, that fucking class? Except so for what? For
0: Samantha, the, the young sister. I think
1: she was in there, at in least that first shot. I I could be wrong, but there were younger kids in that Maybe class. Maybe she was talking to Donnie or something. Yeah, I don't know. Well, no, when it starts, when they're oh. reading the the huh. yeah the instructors, yeah, it's very strange. So I don't know what's going on yeah, there. Yeah, there's
0: an other girl who's clearly friends with Samantha. Yeah, who's yeah. in
1: that class. Yeah. Who yes, hasn't who read it? Her seat. Right, <laughs> yeah. so it's like I don't know what kind of home. Maybe it's home. Well, no, it's English. It has yeah, to be English. It's not a homeroom class. So yeah, that
0: Gretchen says they put me in the wrong English
1: class. Yeah, that was very strange, and it's also strange how Drew's teacher character conducts herself because the <laughs> new girl so comes in is like, like pushing the
0: boundaries, cutting edges with but her like, teaching methods, and it's some of it is that. It feels like that stand-by-me like teacher who's going to reach the students because they don't just conform follow the curriculum. Right, sure, but you get that relationship between her and Donnie very much. She talk, likes that he pushes the boundaries about the books they talk right. about. She talks to him about his imaginary friend, et cetera. But then, yes, then there's stuff like the thing with Gretchen that's a little bit uncomfortable.
1: That's the thing. Like, I, it's almost quaint to think about the me- reading material that she's having. Because those are... Cl- that's just part the of the curriculum. Down that's,
0: and, uh, the destructors. Yeah, that's the two things we see. During I the time.
1: read the destructors in elementary school. Like wow. that's how f- long ago it was. Like, so it, it's almost quaint to see that. Um, what was I talking? Just the destructors yeah. as a story is something mm-hmm. that's so iconic. has always stuck with me as this idea of destruction being creation, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. It's not a a. Uh, commercial thing. It's not for monetary gain. It's not for anything other than seeing what would happen. It's a very Joker esque mm-hmm. concept, and it was so cool that like I always forget who wrote it, so I wrote it down as like that's who it is. Mm-hmm. It's this great Grand. short story. I, and it's an interesting kind of metaphor for the the because the the movie because what's being destroyed is almost time, like mm-hmm. the idea of this one directional concept of that time
0: this, there's this side split off timeline universe that was created by this dead engine sequence right. that is through that destruction that end of the world This it creates this entirely separate sequence of events right. that would never have existed and without the, I- the
1: destruction the idea is it's not malicious either it's mm-hmm. kind of like this it, It's you get the sense that the film's trying to get you to think that it's Donnie's mental illness or it's this time traveling Sinister force in Frank that's kind of manipulating these Wake things up, towards a, a dark place, Come but the, the 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 initial shift, the thing that makes the tangents diverge, is not malicious. There's yeah, no guiding it's hand. Just that.
0: that there is.
1: It's this echo of a possible
0: future. There's just it is what it is, right? Yeah. Possibility,
1: which is really interesting. It, it's mm-hmm. it's very rich. I, I like this. Movie a lot. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm a fan. I'm glad. I. So I I, I prevaricated for a while about whether to show you guys the theatrical cut or the director's cut.
1: And you chose (laughs) wrong. I chose wrong for you and right for Tim.
0: So I. The original theatrical cut, and even the director's cut to a lesser extent, but the theatrical cut leaves a certain amount of ambiguity for interpretation. Um, And I was always of the opinion that what happened was not ambiguous by the end of the film but that the fine details and the why and the push-pull motivations were sort of that you know to say the jet engine showed up there was some time fuckery uh, all these events happen jet engine goes back in time all this is undone it's sort of just set in stone of sorts but that when you want to say or you want to follow the text of the book of it's a tangent universe, or if you want to say it was just straight time travel in the same universe, or if you want to whatever else. That those sorts of details were, were up for interpretation. So when the director's cut comes along, and sort of snudges you in a certain direction, it it sort of fills in. Like no matter what other theory I had, there were always things that didn't fit. So then when the director's cut nudges you, it's nudging you towards one in which they all fit. I just, It felt comfortable to me. I think this is a definitely a case of a director's cut that's, you know, good. Um, and as it happens, the text of that, that in-universe book, The Philosophy of Time Travel, was... It reports very good whether that was supposed to be included in the first place or not, mm-hmm. but it was ready almost in time for the film, and it was posted onto a website like the moment the film, pretty quickly really? after the film came out. Okay. So you had It this was publicly kind of... available by the made publicly available by the director. It might not have been a website, because it was clearly a part of his original intent. And I, like I said, I don't know whether it was supposed to be in the film or not, or just wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. But um, so it, it sort of solidifies things. But it has certainly created a lot of frustration. Um, and once you end up with a film with any amount of ambiguity in it, if you ever remove that ambiguity, you're gonna have angry people. Right. Because you end up with crowds of people who either think that their interpretation is right and everyone right. else is wrong, people who who enjoy the ambiguity because they enjoy all the different interpretations right. it brings, you know, or, or admittedly people who don't like ambiguity. So when you remove the ambiguity, you've pleased that third group mm-hmm. and pretty much made angry it's with the, the other two. Also. right? Because except for the tiny sliver of, of people who went, ah, oh, I was right, you were all wrong, of which you're going to have a lot more of those people who get disproven and then get mad at you.
1: Um, so, do you guys remember your first viewing being satisfied with the ending?
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I. And my I, first viewing was definitely a theatrical cut right. as well. Yeah.
2: And I mean, I think I was. I don't want to say. Like, I wasn't confused about all of it, but some of the details. You right. know, like just because, like, you know, when you're going on this journey. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of this this meta, you know, you're, you're you're moving through time only forward, and you don't sort of know what's significant at first, and then you get to the end, and it's like, oh, I feel like I missed a bunch of stuff that were kind of little details to kind of, like, sweeten the pot a little bit, um, but, like, I definitely got the whole, like, okay, yeah, he went back in time, and this, this, and that, and kind of un- undid all of this stuff, um, but yeah, I feel like I definitely didn't appreciate all the stuff leading up to that as much the first time mm-hmm. because, you know, yeah, it definitely plays out as just this this kid kind of going a little bit crazy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, you know, he was like, is it the mental illness? Is there really something there, some force outside of himself? You know, and then you, you know, it's nice to get that confirmation. Like, oh man, like this, he was seeing something into the
0: future. There wasn't,
2: mm-hmm. you know, like this wasn't all in his head. This was... Right a real That's thing he interacted about, like,
0: with the other theories you know? I toyed with something didn't fit until I saw a director's cut and it showed me where those pieces went mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I was like oh I filled everything in but I yeah I, like I was saying about it's it's gonna make people frustrated and that was what I was thinking about I for Joel's sake I sort of wish he'd had the chance to just Come to grips with the sequence of events first, mm-hmm. without having the extra expository additions of the yeah. director's cut also piled onto you.
1: It'd be interest. It would have been an interesting experiment with this one for me to go in another room and watch the theatrical release, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then come to it with a certain sense of it, and then have you guys talk about the director's cut and. Right. Then- like that would have been an interesting experiment that we can't do now Because yeah. I can't watch that's this the for the first time ever again What would be
0: extra <laughs> so, interesting is that Not just the text of the book that appears That's not the only thing added but, right. but there are scenes added We talked about including for example The scene where his therapist tells him his drugs are placebos Right Which, you know, which is a pretty big Pretty drastically yeah. changes the face of his mental and illness And it's picture.
1: kind of an odd thing to reveal Is that Are they actually placebos That's one question Right and if they're not, why is she telling him to go off of them? Right. Because they're not helping, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's a really interesting... I don't know. It, it's also interesting. In that scene with his dad, he at, he tells his dad, I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. And his dad says, no, yeah. I used to be crazy, yeah. but you're not. So it it's yeah, this weird, weird kind of hint cool. towards this genetic... Disorder and what has his dad seen, and why is he drinking so much whiskey this early in the morning? Like, I don't know. It, 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 that was a really interesting line and an interesting context that doesn't get wrapped up or even addressed about. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a good time travel narrative too, I think. Yeah, because one of the best examples of time travel depicted in film is like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. The idea of that. Time loop being very stable mm-hmm. and everything fits mm-hmm. right, and this plays with the idea of divergent timelines, yes, pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys seen Arrival? No, yes, <sighs> okay, so this reminded me of Arrival oh, yeah, for okay. reasons I don't want to ruin for right, right, Scott, yeah, but like it, it's a I... really interesting. Yeah, you need Whatever to get on, it on that. it
0: was stop me from seeing that in the theater. I You're going to kick yourself after oh, seeing it. You're gonna... yeah. I know I am. And I knew at the time. Every day when I saw that reminded me. I was like, I need to go see this
1: before it leaves. And I just... can get to it. Oh, that's but a good one.
0: It might be on Amazon. I'll watch it.
1: Yeah. yeah. But or um, we'll watch it for this yeah, at some sure. point.
0: Yeah. But, um, yeah.
2: the I... Well, one of the things, like the whole him saying he's crazy. Like, isn't that someone, like, someone who and and are you thinking of cash 22 now I, oh I don't know but like like no no offense intended, but I remember hearing like someone say something like, if you think you're going crazy, you're actually not going crazy because people who are actually you're going you're crazy are a little bit on Twenty Two. You know, they um, the they're move. not aware of them like they think that everything is normal right, and natural yes. as opposed to like, hey, this isn't how things should be yeah. you,
0: know? you are touching a bit on cash 22 there the main the catch 22
1: being spoilers. <laughs>
0: I guess so. Yeah,
1: I mean, I haven't I, read it either. So,
0: well, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, um, I haven't finished it, but it, <laughs> um, being so, it, it's just a it takes place during the bombing campaigns of World War II, and the idea is that a man has to finish a certain number of missions before he's uh, he's done with his his tour, you mm-hmm. know. But that any sane man would realize that was nuts, and ask to be removed from duty. Because only the crazy will fly that many missions. But then, because he's being asked to remove from duty, recognizes the insanity of it. He's clearly sane and fit for duty, and therefore uh, can't be removed from duty. Oh, okay. Sort of. No and, idea anyway, that
1: was about um, World War II. That's interesting.
0: Right. I mean, I guess it's World War Two. I, like, I don't know if that's necessarily mentioned or if right. it's just you know a bombing campaign. But like, yeah, you're touching on there that like, you know, the fact that you would willingly do this. Oh, you're crazy. But, like, they haven't been asked to release from duty and process has to be followed. It's like, okay, so he's asking because he understands. Ah, but he recognizes how crazy that is, so he's saying, so we can't release him. Yeah. Sort of, there's no way out of sorts.
1: The Um, other thing he might be referencing is, like, maybe he's talking about just adolescence the idea that Mm -hmm. I was a kid too, and I was. Right. What you're doing is nowhere near as crazy as what I was doing as a kid. That might be the thing. It's also the idea that in high school your synapses aren't completely <laughs> joined yet yeah. so you're not even <laughs> fully developed so it, it I don't know Yeah, I don't know Let's, if he's having that psychological framework for his yeah. argument or. Like,
2: well and that's the thing is we don't really know much about what his, what sort of mental illness he had before all this
1: right. you know it's there like okay be, he sleepwalks yeah like we know that and then we find out he burned down an abandoned house oh that's right Yeah. so we don't really have any context for why that happened or where that happened or any of that stuff um so but what's what's neat is he he does he
0: has his self-awareness because he when he's talking to Gretchen, she says, oh, yeah, my stepdad has emotional problems. At first he goes, oh, yeah, I had those too. Like me! What kind of problems yeah. he have? He stabbed, and she my, says, mom well, he stabbed my mom four times. And Donnie immediately is like, oh. oh. And you can see him, like, sort of go, oh, not the same kinds of problems. Yeah. Like, there's a disappointment there. <clears> but but kind, of the kind, kind of the same kind of problems,
1: because he burns it down. <laughs> sure. But he doesn't hurt people. I mean, not he, directly, he kills Frank. Uh,
0: well, yes, but he's sort of... He has his hands are tied in a way at that point the 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 trap sort of everything has led up to that moment it has mm. to he has only one path forward by then and it is to correct the time problem
1: it's interesting to think about the idea that he inevitably kills frank because and ev- Frank's already dead and has been
0: talking to him
2: well times. but there's
1: that there's the idea that when he's trying to get through the mirror to frank he's doing it with a knife this idea that yeah. he's also another reference to another horror movie psycho which is not the only mm-hmm. reference because they the fucking yeah. those yeah. bullies were the the Ooh. the 80s style bullying and fat shaming and racism, racism. in this was just like really <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> well and not irritating. even
2: not even the quote unquote official bullies of the film like no Seth these Rogen were just the his guys, the two, yeah his two I, friends yeah, were bully, bullying that other girl
0: but what's interesting is he except for that one time Sort of, kind of... He doesn't really say anything mean to that girl. Donnie he, doesn't. Donnie doesn't, he but he sits him. there and does...
1: Like, he says, yeah. you should leave her alone, but not your yeah, shitty person.
0: Right. Like, and then, it turns out, she's crushing hard on Harry. Yeah. Her.
1: Oh, man. As, is an interesting character. With an, it, Her performance piece was very interesting, too. This kind of ballet, oh, interpretive yeah. dance, mm-hmm. which was kind of interesting. Um... I forgot what I was talking about before that deviation.
0: Frank and the knife in the mirror.
1: Oh, just, yeah, yeah the the idea that they talk about. When when they're bullying Gretchen, they're, they reference Psycho.
3: Oh, yes. And yes. he's also they're trying to get bullies, through
1: guns. the yeah. mirror With to Frank. this big old knife, yeah.
0: much like the one from Psycho. So.
1: Clunk, clunk.
0: Yeah. And I love the way it, it sort of lays the pieces out in front of you. Like any good time travel story, the aunt, there are things there at the beginning that all come together at the end. I, he's biking to biking home in the opening sequence, this red firebird drives past him, which turns out to be the car that Frank mm-hmm. is driving. Alive, Frank. Right. And then, who the hell is alive, Frank? It's this boyfriend that Maggie's Gyllenhaal's character has been talking about the whole time, but who we've has, never seen his, or heard his name. Who until... only gets named right before he arrives in scene. Right. And it's all sort of comes, all the pieces slot into place. They've been there the whole time, yeah. and they all come together. A couple times we see the light, like when he's doing the knife thing. It appears on Frank's bunny mask's right eye, mm-hmm. and we're kind of like. I feel that happens the second or third time. You might wonder why, and then in the theater, Frank takes off his suit, yeah. and his eye is all messed up. Yeah. Oh man, it's great. It is. What happened? Yeah. Why are you wearing a stupid bunny suit?
1: Why are you wearing a stupid human <laughs> suit? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's really good. Mm-hmm.
0: So the something that the sort of the official narrative in the book deals with, but which I'm not going to touch on that in that detail yet. I want to point out, Gretchen and Frank die, right at the same time, and they
3: are the, the two central
0: in the not not the Nine Darko. There is no book of Nine Darko, as far as I know. I mean, the book in the film, the Philosophy of Time oh, Travel okay. book. Gotcha. Um, they die at the same time, right there. You know, she gets one over, and then bang, um, and they play the two central roles in shepherding Donnie forward mm. to to this whole time travel correction of fate. Mm-hmm. Um, and know, they're
1: people he has no interaction with in the timeline in which he dies. Yeah. Because he never met her. Mm-hmm. And... Um,
0: as far as... I mean, we would have never seen Frank even come close right, to it. Right, yeah. But he has... Frank has to talk to Danny through time. Mm-hmm. Donnie through time and get him out there and get him out of the house and get him to, to do all the all the different things he does mm. but Gretchen gives him something to latch onto something to be comfortable with, to love but she also sort of isolates him you know, like they go to the theater together and it's empty right. and she falls asleep and Frank appears and says right. Bart it to the ground and it gives him the opportunity right. so the two of them together you know, create this They they, they facilitate a lot of what he does
1: so I wanted to say one of the clunky bits of this is when he is walking to tell her that school's been closed Mm -hmm. and they're walking and it's this like what did I term it oh it was like spill the beans exposition like she's in the witness protection program because they're getting away from murderous the murderous stepdad, stepdad right. who's still at large. And I think is the dude in that track suit, by the way, that we kept seeing. The dude with the flashlight. Who yeah, would she
2: up. know him?
1: I don't know. Like, he might have changed his appearance because he's on the run and he might have gained some... I don't know. Yeah. I would... I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I also don't know how long ago she, like, this happened or yeah, any of that right. stuff. So, but, like, it, it was just an interesting inclusion of that character twice with yeah. no... For, context or no reason like it seemed in a movie that I was trying to make everything significant right. that might uh-huh. have been me just projecting but <laughs> okay. the idea that she's so left with uh, just I- cascade, just yeah. talking about it so openly so quickly mm-hmm. it, See,
0: but I, I think that's a product of it felt a little natural to me because it was a product of like here's Johnny a kindred and her are both ostracized in a way she's ostracized as as the new girl to begin with. Right. And then if anyone were to try to get to know her, it would be
1: well <laughs> I just I it felt like this is a movie. Like this is sure. how this we a get movie. all of this this expositional shit right in one chunk. So okay, we know who she is now. Yeah. Like so it, it just that was the one moment that took me out of this film. That that was what I yeah. wanted to say about. Mm-hmm. it.
0: That's fair. Um
1: <clears throat>
2: One of the things, back to what you were saying before about like Frank and Gretchen kind of being these these central characters pulling him forward, mm-hmm. like I almost wonder too, like the the significance of, you know, him. It it, it almost reminds me of like a Matrix thing of sorts, where it's like ding, 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 ding. he may not, yeah, I know, he he may not have chosen to go back and sacrifice himself if she if she hadn't died, you know, because he That's, found someone yeah. he yeah. cared about. He might have been like, no, it's I just exactly. want to stay here. That's but super like important to him, yeah. Yeah, to sort of say like, okay, like she dies as a result of all this. But if I go back, she gets to live. You know, and she'll and, be alive again. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was the other. It was kind all of like of you know unknown. the this kind of yin and yang between the and two of them. They're yeah.
0: even the two that come together. Frank kills Gretchen, so Donny kills Frank, and now Gretchen is dead, and Donny's a wanted for
1: murder. Right. <laughs> and the other thing is like Gretchen wouldn't be there that night. If, if it hadn't, hadn't been, been for Donnie, yeah, and Frank, <laughs> right, and the idea that the comm- or the Firebird would have swerved out of the way of hitting uh, grandmother death, grandmother death yeah. there wouldn't have been anybody there. Like right. no yeah, harm, yeah. no foul. Yeah, foul she was that.
0: on the ground right there yeah. because the bullies were there because yeah. of everything that had led yeah. up
1: to that point.
2: <clears throat> well, that's another thing too that I don't, I don't know if this is sort of. I, I feel like we touched on this a little bit, but the scene the sort of the morning after when Donnie's dead and you see the different types of reactions on people, like it shows the people who Who, were affected.
0: Experience that lives waking up. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. But all the people who died in the reality where Donnie lived, like they're they're all very numb. mm -hmm. Whereas everyone like like the the, the contrast between Patrick Swayze where it's almost this sense of relief probably. But i oh good I didn't get caught. But like with, with Frank, with Gretchen and with his mother who also, like, if presumably if, may Well, or because may not what's have her died. face would have gone on the plane instead, mm-hmm. which is another one of the important plot points. If Patrick Swayze never was outed because of all that as having this, you know, child porn yeah. dungeon. Farmer, Mrs.
0: Farmer would have been on the plane. Mrs. So. Farmer would have
2: gone instead. So the mother would have been alive in that universe. Mm-hmm. And I think like I almost wonder too, because like with with donnie's younger sister when the father's holding her the father is clearly like bawling but you can only kind of half see the sister's face you can't tell i think with her it's it's iffy like would she have gone on that tour like oh her brother just died a month ago she's not gonna go do this thing or maybe she did we don't know so i almost wonder if it was intentional like
0: and then since the engine came out of nowhere does the plane even crash now well, that's the thing too. It is it like you never know if the plane together. crashed right, or did right. it kind of um,
2: still was it able to mm-hmm. land. I mean, I guess you're, yeah, maybe you're assuming. And it it's
0: interesting that like, then the mom in the universe where he's dead, is like leaning against the tree,
3: yeah, smoking, and smoking, she, which yeah. we've never
0: seen before. Like just, like she just can't. Which is a a perfectly normal reaction to your son's death, but mm-hmm. B, you know, the ush of the family is standing together. Weeping, mm-hmm. yeah. Except for her, she's over there like just trying to, to gather it together. Yeah. So and, we have to wonder what, and, yeah, what getting, she remembers. Yeah. You
2: know? Well, I think, and I think that's the thing. Like all like those other two, like you know, waking up from this dream, remember, like she's remembering her death. Frank is remembering his death. I think Gretchen kind of remembers her death, and that's why there's that moment with the mother and Gretchen, like they're they're kind of feeling that, that same thing. There's, yes, together. they wave at each other. Yeah.
0: Even though they've never met. Yeah. There's <laughs>
2: that little kid, though. Really fucking interesting. Fucking just a interesting. Like... neighbor. <laughs> like, oh,
0: sure, we're waving now. Great.
2: Bye. <laughs> I kind
0: of wish that, that
2: with that kid, they would have tied it into Freddie Got Fingers. And he got somebody just threw a baseball and hit him in the face <laughs> and all his teeth fell out. <laughs> God. Oh. Um, yes. But, but yeah, that was, that was something that I thought was New a really cool, <laughs> really cool contrast that they did. Like, the... The, the, yeah, those, those people's reactions, like the people who, yes, things turned out differently, but like for the ones specifically who, who are now alive as a result of it. And, uh,
0: mm-hmm. um, it so I'll mention, so if we want to step into the, the sort of official info that we've been given mm-hmm. outside of the film... As well as the text of that book, Philosophy of Time yeah. Travel.
2: Well, I also want to know about some of the other theories people have had before that, because I know you talked about sure. a bunch of it when it was more ambiguous. I haven't heard any of them because, like I said, so,
0: mine was pretty close to what it turned out to be mm-hmm. because I thought there wasn't. I thought the ambiguity was in the details, not in the big picture. Yeah. So then, so I haven't, I haven't necessarily gone looking, but just like I've heard that there were people who were had a completely different end result mm-hmm. from their thoughts. But um, and we see a little bit of that next to the book in the film. There's the manipulated dead and the manipulated living mm-hmm. and the receiver, the living receiver. Mm-hmm. That Donnie is the living receiver, whose job is to return the artifact, to correct this, this issue with time. Mm-hmm. And that the manipulated living and manipulated dead are there to push him on to that course of action. That they have a trap like Frank and Gretchen did of, you have no choice now, but you must do this. You know? mm-hmm. The manipulated dead are mentioned as being very powerful, massively powerful. And as being anyone who dies in that, that universe. Right, so the mother So Frank, and Gretchen obviously, and Gretchen, Gretchen yeah. obviously. Those are the only two listed that I've seen in, as a in dead. fan websites and official text and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That is, Frank and Gretchen yeah. are the two manipulated dead. Because they're, and, and we see some of that. Gretchen doesn't explore most of her mm-hmm. power as a manipulated mm-hmm. dead. It's more subtle. Like I said, she, she gets him alone, gives mm-hmm. him the opportunity sort of things. But Frank travels through time to right. continuously manipulate dying. He mm-hmm. says that line, I can do whatever I want, you know. It,
3: mm-hmm. So that's but, interesting. That but I would like to point way.
0: out that his mom is not listed as one, and Samantha is not either. Mm-hmm. I would, though maybe they are, I would love to talk about that, though. Because, well, yeah. yeah, they're in a plane crash! Like, right. the engine gets ripped off! Like, <clears throat> did they not die before everything collapsed and went back? Were they still, you know, hurtling towards the ground and still alive, and therefore they didn't end up dead? To, to gain that power as Manipulated Dead? Like, was it in really down to the second like that? Or yeah. or what? Like, I'd, I'd love to, I'm, and, to walk and, through that, yeah. if, you, if you have any more theories there.
2: Well, and, and, and I mean, that's the thing, is, like, I I mean... And, and not that I... Not not to try to be the type of person who's like, well, this is my theory, so no, this please. must have been a flaw in the movie. But no, but I feel like that whole progression of him outing Patrick Swayze, which leads to his case, which leads to Mrs. Fisher which mm-hmm. leads to the mother going... Like if none of that would have happened, like the so yeah, kind of like I just said earlier, like the mother would have still been alive mm-hmm. if none of that had happened. So it's kind of weird. I mean, maybe and it's she's, because it's not she's through all over the film too.
0: She's got a with lot of Donnie. A lot of she's got a, all over the film, but not with Donnie. She's all over it with everyone else. Yeah, with the principal and the other teacher and the dance team, and so I, like, yeah, she could be yeah. putting out the same sort of manipulation that Gretchen is, but. Not surrounding Donnie, but surrounding the town. Yeah.
2: So I guess that would be what we would have to look at is like in the, through the course of the film, if she's if she is one, and she's supposed to be pushing Donnie towards this this end result, like what is she doing to
0: create that scenario? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something I was catching with my second frequent, second rewatch here after my my successive frequent rewatch. I guess mm-hmm. was that again, just that there were all these little things like the bullies, like the bullies are are already assholes so he you know threatens Donnie in the bathroom which like gets Donnie all riled up and Gretchen like Sees him hurt when they're in science class together. That was another thing. Wasn't that like later on, and
1: she had
2: seen him? Yeah. So yeah, was that an element of like time later.
0: travel? I was wondering. Like, did that happen
1: out of sequence or something? Yeah, because you see that fleck of blood several different times as time has gone on. And yes, then we that see star from the yeah. knife cut, you know,
2: yeah,
0: switchblade.
2: And <laughs> Wait, then he's yes. got a steak
1: knife against his at throat the at the end. Yeah. yeah.
2: So is. Is it possible that the that Roberta Sparrow's also won? Because what if the bull, so, if he had never shown up at her house, would the bullies have killed her as part of that whole the Damagers thing they were trying the to? The part recreate? of
0: my I, everything Destructors. that Destructors I was thinking fits in really well with the the official narrative, if you will. Mm-hmm. Except that, and in, in the text of the book, we hear about living receivers through history, other living receivers, and the ones that get mentioned, do they die, again from an object that seemingly appears out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Because that's them returning the artifact and closing the loop. But apparently, the idea is that Sparrow is a living receiver who survived, which is A, why she wrote the book, and B, why she's kind of crazy. Right. Um, is that I what was she's looking for? Of in the impression that, that the receiver has to die, which wasn't ever stated anywhere, I just assumed because mm-hmm. we get told about some who die, and therefore that she can't be a receiver. But the more I think about it, the more I like that idea that she was one herself because if Donnie had lived and I, he sort of could have, he was there in his bed laughing, laugh crying mm-hmm. he could have got up and ran out the door if he really tried you know mm-hmm. but then wouldn't
2: all that but, other stuff have happened like that was the whole point Is that well, he because he I, didn't die
0: that comes back to his conversation with Noah Wiley about because you can see that path now you have the freedom to change it but Donnie didn't agree with him hmm so so maybe you're right maybe donnie thought if he lives this must happen right but noah wiley if he'd been a receiver would have gotten up anyway and been like nope i can now that i can see that future coming i can take action to alter it um right or maybe that was donnie taking action to alter it by choosing to stay and die yeah i don't know but um but yeah so there is the idea that sparrow is a living receiver from before and that's what motivated her to to you know quit being a known and quit the church and write a science book right. and come to science um
2: now at any point do they sort of point out like sort Anything of place her yeah her. place her in sort of any sort of si- historical significance? No, not um, that I know of. So it's just kind of this vague reference that yeah. you know. Um, well, the other so when you talk about returning the object, is that the person or the, is ender, it the, the artifact?
0: Because it's so metal, of made of metal. The artifact has to be metal to travel through time. So, so I feel like
1: water. she's waiting for the artifact to arrive in the mail. Is <laughs> that the impression everybody else know. is getting? Maybe so, that
0: was where the <clears> artifact came, and that's why she keeps checking her mail. But
2: but, but the idea of like returning the artifact, why does, why does he have to be there for that? So because the sky is going to open detail. and rip the jet off. Yes, so that's, in
0: off. my opinion, that's the my one problem with the film that wasn't communicated clearly enough. Um, mm-hmm. Is... So the, jet en- the, the tangent universe, the second one that we're in, in which we, we watch the film, is mm-hmm. this jet engine. It doesn't come from anywhere. And time has been corrupted. It's had a problem. Mm-hmm. That's what Donnie has to correct. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise it's going to collapse and oblivion will yeah. happen. Because time's going to fall apart. And the reason time's having a problem is that that jet engine doesn't come from this tangent universe. It comes from the other universe. Or not. It's like an extra. Like a, like a duplicate of sorts. It yeah. doesn't belong. I don't so imagine that the serial numbers has were to actually be burned off. Returned through time, to where it belongs, and everything will be stabilized again.
2: Um, but it doesn't. But it's it's a different jet engine that's on that jet that goes back in time. Like it's not. I mean, unless they took that jet engine and put it on a different jet.
0: Right. Well, it's that. It's that the engine comes <clears throat> from the original universe and has to be placed back into it. But how does it get back placed into the original one? Why don't Because you that see that, that quick line in the book about the living receiver will receive certain powers, mm-hmm. like strength, etc., etc. and we see him use his strength when he wedges an axe into a bronze statue right. and such. Telekinesis is listed. And apparently he uses his telekinesis and the rainstorm around the plane to rip the engine off and send it back through time
2: but that's the I engine that was not communicated at all right, that's he's the, just sitting
0: there as far as I can tell and watching the engine go through time
2: well plus doesn't he also talk about like at one point when he's talking to Noah Wiley like you need a vessel like some sort of ship yes, made of metal an object. so I was kind of more that's under the, the impression that he was like riding would have to be that in back to get like he needed that as a vessel to take him back in time
0: but the vessel can travel on its own without occupants right which is but what it, it did the first time mm-hmm. yeah
2: but, like, but, but that's what I'm saying is, like, the one that gets sent back in time wasn't the original one. It's the one from that Tangent universe.
0: Yes, because the original ended up in the Tangent universe. Oh, so, it, so is it about sort of balancing the... the, the ma- oh, okay. Yes, okay, so that exactly. makes sense. So it's
2: not about returning it, it's about this right. conservation about of matter. Really There's too much matter it's in swapping. this timeline, not enough matter in this one. Right. There's a thing where it shouldn't be. And time does not know how to handle that. Uh, okay. Okay. So okay. they, so the, so he's swapping the two engines with each mm-hmm. other. So, so does that mean that if he hadn't been there to use his telekinesis to rip the engine off and send it through, it wouldn't have happened? And then that's what would have created. Uh,
0: maybe. Um. And that's so the living receiver again from the from the text of the philosophy of time travel. Mm-hmm. Is it gets these powers, but is there seems to be no rhyme or reason to why they're chosen, to who the living receiver has to be. But that once a receiver is selected, the living, manipulated living, will Mm -hmm. shepherd him to his task because they will do whatever it takes to save themselves from oblivion, Mm -hmm. from the apocalypse of time collapsing. And then the manipulated dead will also contribute. But that because they died in this universe that's separate from time, they are free to be stronger
1: in their manipulation Mm. and gain more power what I was going to say is that I think when we're talking about manipulated dead mm-hmm. that could be an explanation for the overly expositional dialogue between him and Gretchen mm-hmm. if it's her, manipulation. her role as manipulated dead to shepherd him to set up that trap, the insurance that trap. is an excuse that mm-hmm. I'm giving the director in this sense okay. I don't like it, and but
0: that it so the manipulated living are sort of the idea is that they manipulate without realizing it they're just going about what they're doing is indistinguishable from their own motivation, and mm-hmm. it, it is. We see this whole. I mean, yeah, we see Mrs. Farmer be a dick, and we see, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Drew Barrymore be a weird teacher, and it all seems fairly natural. Drew Barrymore is the one who gives him cell door remember? Mm-hmm. Um, under the under the you know excuse of it being a beautiful phrase in English, which seems fairly natural. Whereas the manipulated dead are more intentionally sorry, more more intentionally and by choice. Pushing him towards what they know is going, know has to happen.
2: Mm. So, so that, that you bring up another, the whole cellar door thing. Is that the only significance of that? Is oh, the cellar that door, and that's him where in he that goes in?
0: so that Gretchen can get run over. I, yeah, yeah, As is far that, as I can that tell, it is. Yeah. Huh. I so I I guess I that wasn't necessarily <laughs> clear to listeners <laughs> that I I started talking there about the intended narrative that we get from the the published text of the philosophy of time travel and from the, the sort of natural gathering together of events on, on any number of websites or locations or mm-hmm. what have you. Yeah. Um, so that's another... If, if but we go- I'm sorry, Gil, I, I want to say, though, you guys pieced almost all of that together on your own, um, except for sort of the bit about returning, swapping the Dead Engine to balance the universes. Right. You know, the rest of it, you all put together pretty easily, which is what I was saying before about I felt like that was easy enough to pick up and that it was the details about the engine and the why yeah. that were filled in by the director's cut. Um, and so that's, I'm sorry, please. No, please
1: that's see. okay. I'm just, again, I'm curious what I would have had as an impression mm-hmm. watching it without that kind of guiding hand. Mm-hmm. But that, that brings up an interesting conversation about the idea of extracurricular narrative, the idea that the film on its own is not complete in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Or successful like, to a certain extent because you have to go out and search for these other things to make it better. It's mm-hmm. that's an interesting commentary, and like as a consumer of narrative and somebody who has continuity issues, like wants to know everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm not disinclined to go out and search for this but then third I, source. I would
0: point out, like I said, I don't know how much of the director's cut was supposed to just be the film release. Well, that's in what I'm first place. I think.
1: The, <laughs> death of the author though right, is what sure. i'm saying yeah. is that it doesn't matter if it was intended the idea is that film that came out of it mm-hmm. whatever was, was incomplete mm-hmm. if we're thinking about the director's cut as the complete narrative mm-hmm. what was released has to stand on its own two feet mm-hmm. and i that's an interesting conversation since yeah. we're so intimately related with or acquainted with every stage of development of film now, and mm-hmm. the idea and Especially that-
0: when it comes to film, that there are so many things out of the author's power. The the juggernaut moving along. Like, if at the end, he didn't have time to fit in the text of the book, or to whatever else, right. you know, he can't exactly go back to the studio and say, we need to deal in this release by another month so I can right. finish the film. There are so many other things at play, movies and forces and release dates and actors and contracts, and they're just like, no, film's coming out. Right, <laughs> Like, ready or not, you know, here it comes.
1: It's just an interesting... I would like to, to think that the film stands on its own without any of that. And I think for you it did, because mm-hmm, you certainly. you just watched it. But you also went and you sought out those extracurricular things to inform the narrative for you. So mm-hmm. I'm just... I'm kind of wrestling See, with I, the idea will, of the completed I like to, narrative. To
0: say, though, I didn't seek those out for years afterwards. Because for whatever reason, I... Part of why I just google everything now the moment it comes to mind is because I will forget to if I don't. Mm-hmm. I watched Danny Darko well after it came out, had questions, didn't think to look to the internet for answers, and just went, uh, oh, I'll watch it again, and then just did. And like, that, was, that was it. That was all I had for a while, and at some point we were talking about, talking to someone about other fan theories about who knows what, Star Wars or Harry Potter or whatever, and something they said sort of brought Danny Darko to mind, and I thought, well, duh. Why don't I go on the internet and see what people think about Donnie Darko? Right. But like until then, I had had this pleasant relationship with the film, even before that. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, I would hope it stands on its own two feet for other people right. as well. Hmm.
1: That that makes me think of another question: Is that does a film that encourages you to rewatch it work on its own as narrative, or is the desired effect in the second watching? And then you have this mm-hmm. arc.
0: You have to watch it twice to have watched it at all. Right. Sort of thing.
1: And, at a certain extent, can you break a film in doing that? By watching Having it Having watched and it then to leaving. the point where you're not answering questions you had be- previous, or you're not forgetting details from the last time you watched it. Yeah. That's an interesting...
0: I can say both yes. I think I'd say both yes and no. Because there are films that you watch, that as you watch, you're saying to yourself... I need to see this again because I know there are going to be new things to see. Or once the twist hits, you go, "Oh, I have to go back!" Oh, like you're sort of incentivized. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, you're. It's it's very clearly communicated to you that there is more to get. But there are other films that end up with that same kind of the second watching is the first watching, but that they don't communicate very well. Mm -hmm. That it's very easy for a lot of people to just watch once and go, "That was dumb," and then leave. Right. Um, and some films—I mean, obviously the experience is subjective. So some films communicate that more clearly than others. Some people are will pick up on it more easily than others. But I—I uh, I would argue that, yeah. Although there are some ways you can guard against it, you can never truly guard against it mm-hmm. completely. Because, like, when you watch *The Usual Suspects*, I mean, that whole film was constructed around its ending plot twist. Mm-hmm. So of course, as soon as that happens anyone watching is going to go like, oh, well, now I have to watch it again. Crud, you know. But with Donnie Darko, except for its inherent time travel bits and the way certain things slot together at the end of the film, those things might incentivize you to go, now I want to go see where that came from or see where that fit in or or just because time travel, maybe. But I can definitely see people not wanting to see it again, just seeing it the first time and taking that and going, yeah, yeah, I I get what happened and being sort of happy with that. I mean, I think the best movies that do
2: that do it where both, yeah, where, like, I I think I mentioned this before in the podcast. When I watched The Usual Suspects, I didn't like it till the very end, but I still have never seen it since then. Uh Because I remember how much I didn't enjoy watching the film. (laughs) And it's like, I'm not going to rewatch this just so that I can make sense of your ending and catch all these tidbits. However, something like Fight Club or The Sixth Sense, Mm -hmm. which works parallel in both senses, the first time you see it, you know at least for me I'm enjoying the ride all the way through and then you get the twist and you put things in new context and go back and rewatch it again and, and look at all those scenes from a different perspective and then even with the really good ones you know the third and fourth time you catch more and more things and it's more enjoyable and you're kind of you know seeing how how it functions on these different levels um so you know I think it's like with a lot of stuff it's it's done well in some cases and not so well in other cases I think it depends on the film it depends on the creators you know like how well they executed that, you know. Memento is another one of those. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um,
1: see, it's also it's an interesting narrative move, but also an interesting marketing move to make a movie yeah. that demands a second watch. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> it also has the effect of once you've watched and enjoyed it twice, I know I do. Where I, I put it away for a while yeah. and then want to come back. No,
0: Darke was the film that inspired me during our earlier podcast this month to say that so many of the films I love so much require so much focus that I don't rewatch them right
1: it's an event it has mm-hmm. to but it's also like I don't know if it's designed this way but I'm thinking of it very cynically and commercially is that mm-hmm. you put it away in enough time for the new uh, format to come out and right. then you buy it again right yeah so <laughs> it, I don't know if that's the desired result but it, as a, a story but also a product What it's doing is very interesting on both those because it's a narrative that functions really well for two viewings, but then forces audience to not participate in it for a certain amount of time before Mm -hmm. re-enjoying the narrative. That that's a very interesting concept.
2: I mean, I think yeah, like in probably like with a lot of stuff, it's a it's a it's a way to tell a story and i think some some stories probably fit into that way of storytelling better than others you know um, you know i think memento is a good example of you know getting more specific to how memento was told where it has that sort of oh events are told out of order oh you mean like pulp fiction and it's like pulp fiction while it's done really well it's not necessary
0: i was just about to say something like that yeah but um, with
2: memento like the purpose of it is for you to experience this this guy and how he perceives reality. So it's it, it, it's bound together with the story. It has to be told that way. Mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction doesn't have to. It works. It's done very well so that it's enjoyable, entertaining, mm-hmm. and functions on those multiple viewings and you catch more yeah. stuff.
0: Does the non-linear narrative need to be tied together sort of thing? Pulp Fiction is a little yeah. more episodic of just here a bunch of things that are happening. Right. And they do tie together in neat and pleasing ways. Yeah. But...
1: It could have been told you linearly. Know, and, yeah. You know, but the and, delivery method of Memento is that it's disjointed... Yeah. yeah, it's, it's
2: part economic. of the, you know... And, and that's the thing, too, is like his film before that following is also told that way. Hmm. But it's... I, I, I don't think it's tied into the characters. It was just, you know, like Pulp Fiction. Hey, I'm going to tell this story out of order. Like, okay... Like, oh, why are we at this scene? What happened to get us here? So, like, it draws you in, but it's not, like, integral to the story, you know? Right. It's, it's kind of like if he decided, hey, I'm going to do Batman Begins like that, too. Like, why? There's no reason to tell Batman Begins in reverse, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit with that. So he didn't do that. He, he told the Batman story the way that Batman, you know, like, from the beginning,
1: you know, moving forward, you know? Um which was a new thing for Batman films because every other one had flashbacks <laughs> to the origin. Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> I was going to make a point, but regarding Citizen Kane, which is told, technically, it's a nonlinear narrative in that the reporter goes from person to person and gets a picture of Citizen Kane's life, but his the life chapters are basically A to B, mm-hmm. so it's it's still fairly linear. Um, probably because a nonlinear narrative was still a big deal <laughs> when that was made, <laughs> but um when you get to the end and you finally find out what Rosebud was
3: mm-hmm. I would
0: argue that you don't get anything like some people might go oh well now I want to go rewatch it and and look at the clues throughout the narrative I would argue there aren't any that it's still just no like this is this is the story of the man's life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the life didn't change because you knew something different about it now mm-hmm. which is sort of the opposite of things like playing Darko right but it falls into that same Pulp Fiction level of like, yeah. this could have been linear, and it would have been experienced differently, but not in its necessarily revelatory, eye-opening, mind-blowing way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Like the the like telling it out of order definitely made it a more interesting viewing experience. Yes. Absolutely, you know, and and it's and yeah, and it's not to its detriment. So it's not like, oh, why didn't I, he just tell it, tell it to its ortho. benefit? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: But and, and that's fine. Yeah,
2: yeah, but <clears throat> or I mean, or something like Fight Club, where it's not told out of order, but that the with an
1: unreliable unre- mm-hmm. narrator. Yeah, the idea that what you thought you saw is not, which <laughs>
0: is another yeah. level for Donnie Darko of right. It is, he's an unreliable narrator the whole time. But he's not narrating. We're just following him. Right. So we're trying to determine how much of what we're seeing is what he's seeing, and right. how much of what we're seeing is what's happening as the omnipotent, uh, omniscient
1: audience. Mm-hmm. I I wanted to say there there's an element of this that has a 2001 production, and that's the bubble yes, animation. Especially mm-hmm. bubble and I don't think that effect was terrible. Mm-hmm. I really liked it and I didn't think it felt out of place or anything it, it that was a really interesting insertion
0: I think it helped because they established that sort of thing earlier with the mirror when it's doing the wobbly light breathing. yeah that's that, so you're already sort of it feels like a natural extension of right. that even yeah. though you're right that's like hey boom special effects right
1: <laughs> in something that had largely operated without them mm-hmm. so it, it, that was really effectively done and I don't think they overused it either mm-hmm. and
0: it, I, I, speaking of which I want to say that the theatrical cut has more usage of that but really I can't tell if I'm just insane I might be mm-hmm. misremembering yeah, cause yeah. it's been ages since I watched the theatrical or you're in a cut. tangential reality hey yeah
1: what's <laughs>
0: the artifact I wonder it's like called the Mandela effect
2: ugh <laughs> What's the Mandela effect? It's the whole thing with the Berenstain, Berenstain. Oh, years gotcha. Or, uh, yeah. They actually did an X-Files episode, one of the newer ones, where uh-huh. there was some guy who was supposedly from, you know, he's like, that's not called the Mandela effect, it's called this thing. Anyway. <laughs> um, and he inserted himself into the X-Files show, like, from square one. <laughs> On the nose.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: um, well, actually, uh, uh, getting back to that whole scene, there was something I wanted to bring up, and, and maybe, Scott, maybe this is something you've thought more about and kind of can help solidify this for me. Is that, that to me, I saw as one of the the weaknesses of it, where his his sort of, like, trail that's pulling him along mm-hmm. leads him to the gun, but it just seems, like, completely self-serving. Like, like it's, I was under the impression it's supposed to show, like, yourself it serves earlier purposes. in time. It's, I know he needs to have the gun.
0: Well, yeah, A, he needs to have the gun, but B, it sets him in the mindset about what is determined and what is not, because that's what brings into the conversation with Noah Wiley about like if you could see your future path laid out in front of you, you, you have, have no choice but to follow it. But Wiley says, But you do. But Donnie doesn't agree. Which but... is what puts him into the mindset to follow the trap that Gretchen and Frank lay for him later of he can see all of it coming together and feels that he has no choice. That even without the little bubble He's or rather, he's more own.
1: curious about what's going to happen than... I don't know. But, but what were you saying? So, but, so that's the thing, though, is like, why...
2: So, so I don't basically, he, if, if, he, if he has no control over his destiny, is what, he, what he's saying, right? That he has no choice but to follow the bubble... Without the bubble having been there, you know. So again, this—I I guess we're—we're we're, we're supposed to assume that if he that, hadn't like, had the
0: hallucination, he wouldn't it, have.
2: Or if he wouldn't have had the bubble specifically saying, "Hey, follow this thing," why would he have gone to the gun in the first place? And and I, I get everything about Gretchen and Frank leading him to these things, but that—that's not what this is. This is sort of—I don't know—fate. What I mean, I had my theory about what sure, that is, we're... which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, so but...
0: either it's still Frank, just. Manifesting in a different way now a different system for him or it's just his own mental illness like sort of jumping into the on the bandwagon of like this is inevitable and i have to do it i
3: feel like
1: that is not referenced before that moment that's the first time it happens is the bubble effect Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i don't think he's thought about or knows what it is he just follows this thing right and it leads him to the gun. I, I don't think it has hmm. any other... I don't think he tries to fight it at that point. I think afterwards, when he's having the discussion with the teacher, hmm. he's thought about the idea of seeing your path. And whether or not there's a choice involved is separate. He's, I think he's investigating, okay, what is this thing? What is it leading me towards?
2: So that's what I'm saying, though. It seems kind of like circular like, this thing is telling him, this is where you're going to go, mm-hmm. but that he's following it because it's going there. So it's like how, it, you know, because when he sees it on everyone else, like he sees it on his father, and it loops up and moves forward. Hey, anyone didn't want anything? I'm going to get a drink. And so right. it's basically that's, showing see, that's, that's exactly the path it. of that person so, in the
0: future. That's the manipulation, all of the manipulation, is especially from the dead. But that it's sort of telling him, like, this but, but, is what you're going to do.
2: Well, and that's part of it. I guess maybe that's the, the thing why I still see it like as a as a flaw, is that every time Frank is manipulating him, Frank is there saying, do this, look right. at me, come here. That's coming consistent. from him moving forward. But right. they're the same and thing
0: in the end. Because the thing is coming from him, and he can follow it or not. Frank says to him, burn it to the ground, or he can sit in this theater and make out with Gretchen. But like with both of those things, regardless of where they originate from... He just goes. I guess is that is that the problem you're having that like why does he go? With yeah, his it bubble? doesn't seem to
1: have the same kind of consistency, or at least we don't understand it on the intellectual level that he seems to talk about it. Later. Why does the bubble motivate that, him
0: as much as Frank does?
2: Well, no, right? that the, the, the bubble. I thought what the bubble is implying is it's showing him the future path that other people are taking. Like looking at the other people, he sees it go up and move forward from his father like predicting that what his father will do in the future is stand up and walk into the kitchen. When he sees his sister running around, it shoots out ahead of her showing this is the path she is going to follow like mm-hmm. as a kind of like a predictor. So then so the know, bubble shoots out of him predictor. and it goes to the to the gun and then he f- he follows it. So it's so in other words like when it when it comes out from his father his father's not aware of it but he does that Mm-hmm. Donnie only does it because it
0: comes out of him. Because those first two scenes are what lead Donnie to believe that it's set in stone. That it's not... But that's, it's, I guess that's part of thing. The what I'm saying. What is set in
2: stone? Like, why... He believes he's why seen in the immediate he future. Have, why would he have gotten up to go look in the thing if that thing wasn't there to... You know, So, so, it's, I it's, so it's kind
0: of like the... Self-fulfilling. Yeah,
2: yeah. like, it's... It, if it's supposed to be this like oh this is your path and you can't change it but that's the only thing that's telling him it's his path it's not something that he was driven to like with all of the other things that happen a certain way and he's kind of following along or doing um you know like like, yeah like frank says burn it to the ground he burns it to the ground like he gets these images you know it's like I'm having yeah, I'm having a hard time putting it in into words where it's like sure it, I like I get the part that it goes out in front of him but what was what was the motivation of that thing like other than I guess what I'm saying other than to further the plot you know so, that's what I'm saying is in in the mythology in the science right. that is created in the realm of this thing like that seems to be arbitrary
1: right so i think what the problem is is the circularity of the time travel narrative Right, Mm -hmm. there's an idea of like there's a first instance of this. You're
0: going to do this thing because you already did it. But that's the
2: thing is he didn't because in the alternate timeline that he fixes, he's not alive at that point. Right, but what I'm saying is, is future that he's
1: he was always going to go and get the gun because he always in that reality saw the bubble. That it is self-serving. It is plot. It's just it's the cycle of that... It's not the plot perpetuates no, itself. It's not like there's an, a version of that reality where he's not seeing the bubble and he just went out to get the gun. It's always motivated by him So that's what I'm saying
2: then. If he's always able to see it, why does the bubble take him to the gun? I, so that's what I'm saying. Because he needs it to the That's why. That's why. So that's what I'm saying. It's a plot device, no, not but something that's, that's integral exactly That's yes, generally them.
0: your answer. Is that that's He sees it because when he killed frank and fixed the universe he caused himself to see it but him seeing it caused himself to kill frank and fix the universe it's that these things all cause each other in a permanent circle of causality
2: i guess maybe it's the fact that like having frank there to guide him
1: along to do those things seems more logical it has right. more of a reason or than this it's plot
0: device. sort of
2: because it looks like, hey, we tray. need him
1: to have the gun at the end. How do we get him to go to the but, gun? Yeah, that's,
2: that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, right. No. Like,
1: oh, here's this thing which no, says. See, I can't
2: this agree. Is what you're I can't agree. Do.
0: Because then they could have just had Frank do it. He could have been sitting there watching football, and Frank could have said, like, while his dad was smiling and getting a beer, something on the lines of, like, something about your dad has secrets too. Go look in his closet. Like, he's Frank. When Frank needed to step in, they were not hesitant about having him step in. So, so, know, so, they so, put him everywhere they wanted him. So,
2: what is his? What is they, the explanation I, of it
0: then? again? Well, what I'm saying is, I think they. What I mean there is that I think they specifically chose not to use Frank, right, and to use this, this connection about Donnie seeing seeing what he thought. But I was think the if Frank had shown future. up
1: too, that would be just like he needs a gun because he needs a gun, right? So, I the the point of that scene seems to be to show the visualization of these people on their tracks, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the case that they want you to look too closely at it that I think you're right in that it's this loop that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense yeah. because he needs a gun I think there were, would have been better ways to have gone about getting the gun I totally agree with you in that case yeah. but I still uh, I think what they're trying to say is the loop is continuous because the loop is continuous he gets this gun because he needs the gun it's not satisfying in a narrative sense right. I mean I guess that's I've the seen yeah, other films the,
0: that do it similarly but it's the only thing they do throughout the film so it all clicks more sensibly but I'm having trouble conjuring them up at the moment yeah. as an example for you because
1: <clears throat> well, and... without that scene to see those trails the first right. time we would see those trails again would be at the party and we wouldn't know what the fuck they were yeah so it...
2: well and that's the thing is I'm saying like there could have been those trails in that scene um, and, and I guess part of it like and, and then maybe this is what you're saying Scott like we see the father's trail move and go forward because the father had this motivation. Oh, I'm going to get up and do this. But Donnie saw the predictor of that happen before he did it. But he had an internal motivation to do it. He didn't do it because Donnie saw him do it. He was going to do it. And Donnie saw the prediction that it was going to happen. Whereas with Donnie, it wasn't that he had the motivation, or at least we have no impression that he has a motivation to get the gun. And that's why this thing happened. Like he was, fo- It was more like... What is this thing I'm gonna follow? So it's like, and again, it's I, it, I get that it's part of it's just the circular aspect of it, where he got it because he got it because he got it, not because oh I should do this thing and it's going to happen. Like I I feel like if it was more, if I didn't feel so much like he was following it, going oh where is this taking me?
1: Like, because there's no really indication that there is a gun in the house at any. Well, he has a rifle, like a BB gun, rifle, yeah, right? Yeah. So, I don't... There's really not any context for that gun being there. They yeah. don't have to defend themselves. Well, like it, Other than it, it being suburban America and a white man with the the a 80s. gun, like, in yeah. the 80s. But, so, like, like,
0: it detaches him a little more from his family, because it's something that they didn't... He wasn't in on, of sorts. That the adults were, but the kids weren't. But he's the only one who knows. Just a and little it, bit. It would have been something like if, him
1: a little If they, they had they, a sequence in Like somebody broke in the house and the dad has the gun or something. Like something to establish that this is there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, why is he getting the gun that he already knows about rather than, I don't
2: know. And I guess maybe that's part of it too. Yeah, we don't know if Donnie knows about the gun ahead of time. Right.
0: But see, that's the thing we don't, he does and he doesn't because like when he, Frank takes off his mask and we see his eyes all messed up, Donnie says, what happened to your face? But like Frank doesn't answer because it already happened, even though it, he hasn't shot him yet.
2: Right, it, it already happened to to Frank, but
0: but not. But in, it in the linear, happened, the whole universe sort of wouldn't. The whole tangent universe wouldn't be a thing.
2: So I guess that's another one it's of my questions of, like with the, with the jet engine it, too. It happened because it happened. Like, it like the, because it predestined. The original jet engine that went back in time and landed in Donnie's room and he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. How did that jet engine go back in time?
0: That was, if you were
2: saying that Donnie had to be there to use his telepathic powers to send it through the portal
0: In the sense of the book text, it's just that there was a problem with time It was corrupted There's a rift There's that lie about think, the fourth dimension that? being corrupted
2: So in the first continent yeah. So there was that wormhole and that's what it traveled through And when yeah. this happens,
0: yeah. we get this second universe right. That contains something it's not supposed to from the first universe It has two And if things giants. aren't put right, the, the two universes can't reconcile And they're both going to be destroyed
1: the problem is, like, in the story, after Donnie's dead, that jet engine is still confusing.
0: Oh, sure. <laughs> so, like... But that, right. That doesn't, doesn't matter whether people in that universe are confused or not. It's that the timeline is fixed. It's fixed. That the nature of what should be where is as it should be. Because time is its own dimension. It's the fourth dimension, chugging along. It's that time had a, had a problem and Donnie
1: was our mechanic. I like how you found a way to get further from the mic than ever before. Right <laughs> I'm <now>. sorry. I, <laughs> my legs are all. <laughs> we have well, two mic- mics in the oh. spread so we can capture you who runs <laughs> oh, around I'm all sorry. the time. I'm just and now I'm sitting on the couch. <laughs> couch. No. Uh, sorry. i stretch my legs. Yeah. Uh, I think to break our vicious cycle of the vicious <laughs> yeah. cycle analysis, we should probably do a situ- situational yes. movie recommendation. Um, but I have one. Go for it. That is themed on this movie. Ooh, then, then double double. Go over. <laughs> What's the best movie to watch on a plane?
0: <laughs>
1: I just there was what a joke on before. Thirty Rock about
2: this, <laughs> where it was like something about like this or no, it was about TGS was like top viewed by you know people falling asleep on planes so, you know something like that. Where like this is it's where metric. people watch this because they're on a plane and sleeping halfway through it.
0: Uh, that's a good one. I want to um, just point out that my perspective is going to be different because of flying for me. Okay. Because, a, I mean, flying is, A, I'm tall and broad and don't fit in seats and make it sore and stiff, I wouldn't know anything about but that. But, B, I have that problem with my ears. Oh, okay. That when we land, I experience what is undoubtedly the worst
1: pain I've ever felt in my life.
0: In, in, a, in an even tie with the destroyed molar I had in my mouth last year. I see.
1: Um... So silent films. Well, <laughs> well,
0: I have these earplugs I buy. Thank God that that you put them in before landing and they fix that. Gotcha. That I have either like it still hurts, but it's a tenth of the pain, or gotcha. on a few cases I've had no pain at all. But that, regardless, the sum total of the experience is exhausting and draining. And like, whenever I get off a flight somewhere, just physically, like I need to just rest for mm-hmm. a bit like when I see movies and people like get off a flight and then go do things I'm like how the hell did they do that oh my god like (laughs) they have so much energy because I forget that flying isn't as physically destructive to other people Mm -hmm. as it is to me Um, and in that sense my movie choice is going to be skewed okay Okay. cool because I have to A. stop listening an hour before landing Mm -hmm. and that B. I just it's the whole experience is so trying Mm -hmm. which is why I said a film you've seen before because (laughs) A. you can miss it but, but you know similarly a film that's doesn't require a lot of thought. That's easy to get into. That's sort of just distracting. I, mm-hmm. I, I have to say, in time, I think, because I saw that for the first time on a plane and liked it so much, I sought it out, watched it, and then bought it. Gotcha.
1: Um, Was it a different version on the plane than no, the one you bought? Not that I know of. Because I think that's the PG thirteen, right? I think so. Gotcha.
0: But I, just that, like something like that, something that you can follow visually. That's mm-hmm. an action adventure. That you know who's who and just can sort of lighthearted share of sorts. Although in time is pretty deep if you look at it. Right. But it doesn't have to be. So,
1: <laughs> Kind of a Logan's Run.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. Even, I, I don't know, Jason Bourne or, you know, a Bond film. Anything that is plenty going on for you to look at with your eyes and just go, ah, oh, this is cool. You know, a time passer. <laughs> mm-hmm. But as I said, I have different standards <laughs> than most. So.
1: Tim, do you have one?
2: Um, Is it The not, Matrix? No, <laughs> not one in particular. I usually don't watch movies on planes. Because, um, like, you know, I I feel like when I first started flying, it was more of this sense of, like, oh, I'm going to bring my laptop and I'm going to get all this work done because I'll be sitting still for a while. But it's just, like, between being uncomfortable and kind of tired. and mm-hmm. um, So I basically really narrowed down, like, what I bring, you know, what's in my bag that goes in my overhead versus what I actually, like, have on my person right. so I can interact with. Um Usually, even you know, even though I don't have the issue with issues with my ears that Scott does, like I usually still have a hard time hearing whatever I'm trying to watch. That's you know, right. between you know, like my ears closing up because of the pressure, or even just the noise of the plane. So, it probably usually it would be something that was like, okay, I've seen this before. I don't have to catch every word. You know, yeah, I would I would, I would never seek out to watch something for the first time on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it might be The Matrix, but because I wouldn't have my laptop with me. You know, I wouldn't be doing that. Um, There was one time, this was actually years and years ago, when I had my, um, I have a really old iPod, which is actually one of the iPod video ones. It was like a, from God, uh, one of the earlier, earlier generations where, you know, it was a video one, so it has like 30 gigs and you can like room to store actual movies. And I had that one time and I think I watched, I think on one flight I watched The Dark Knight and another one I watched maybe The Hulk. And that was more just you know again, kind of like I knew these films. It was kind of this visual feast that I didn't have to catch every word. Um, but it, I was watching it on this screen. It was like one inch by two inches, you know, and it was like really dumb and I was just like, why am I doing this? like and I think I didn't have anything else to occupy my time. Um, so yeah, something something like that, you know but but yeah, the situations where I have something, like even on my phone, like I don't store movies on my phone. Um, maybe now that I actually have an iPad, maybe I would bring that and watch something on that. Um, That's what I do. Yeah. But even still, like, I don't I don't tend to download. I usually tend to stream stuff right. like that, so I'm not taking up the hard drive space, which you can't really do. Even if you have, like, the access to the Wi-Fi on the plane, right. it, it's usually not fast, fast yeah. enough to stream.
0: I was just thinking, one of the last flights I took, they gave us, you know, there's the pay service in the built-in screen. It's going mm-hmm. pick from whatever channels or films they've got on hand. Yeah. I was thinking they gave us that for free, but I only just remembered it's because our flight was delayed by umpteen hours. Right. Uh, so that's not normal. Mm. So,
1: what about yours? Um, since I have had an iPad for a long time, and Apple owns my soul, and I've bought most of my digital movies through them, I have <laughs> a pretty big collection of stuff. Um, but what I usually... The first thing I download is uh, Holy Grail. Yeah, Monty Python. See, <laughs> but, yeah,
0: I, that fits into my little category. you see yeah. it a lot. You can watch the visual gags. You probably know the lines by
1: heart. Yeah, for sure. And it's something lighthearted and something I could fall asleep take watching. And and, like, the other, the other ones that I usually get are all of the uh, Hannibal Lecter films. I, <laughs> I take Red Dragon, Hannibal, and Silence of the Lambs, and usually watch them in order. <laughs> if it's a particularly long fight, because I'm twisted, and they're fun. And the nice thing about the little screen is that the the, the evil monster guys are small, so they can't
3: get <laughs>
2: Until the day when you're like, look at the person next to you, and he's missing a hand and eating this gray matter out uh-huh. of a little cup. You're like, fuck that. I, don't know <laughs> I was going to say,
0: until we do VR for airplane travel, <laughs> which can't come soon enough for me, honestly. I want not help with my ears, I guess. <laughs> but uh,
1: that was a good one, Joel. I liked that. It was a good question. It's one I've been sitting on for a while, so like I would if we were flying. <laughs> so uh,
0: this was a good movie. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm, like I'm to, I'm glad to, really to have glad finally it. seen if it. If you ever want to just take it and rewatch it, yeah. I feel free.
1: I, I want to watch the theatrical release yeah, now. I want to see it. how I feel about it because it's not something like Blade Runner where I, I feel like it's not something like Blade Runner yeah, where there's agree. a definitive like reason yeah. that there's a definitive version. Whereas this one is kind of like, okay, we have the opportunity to make something new now. I'm not sure. I don't know. Oh yeah, certainly.
0: Uh, this was a good. This was a good, good, good podcast too. Yeah, yeah. Went well. Thank you both for joining me for this special episode. Special uh, episode. Uh, the the middle of our Halloween cycle. Uh, the one you listeners will hear next week. But which we're about to record in moments.
1: I'm very
2: scared. Is, uh, Tim's
0: pick: The Exorcist.
2: Yes, the version you've never seen when it was re- when it was re-released in like 2000 and, um, I think it was 2000, 2000 or 2001. Mm-hmm. Re-released in theaters, and they had footage. I've never of it seen in the any original. version, so they're Neither all the version I. I've yeah. never seen. Yeah. Uh. I was gonna make that joke. You stole. Hey. Uh. <laughs>
1: There's a tangential reality where I made that joke and it killed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, um,
0: so, uh, yeah, Tim's bringing us *The Exorcist*. It's gonna be, it's gonna be the most horrifying of the films here, I think. The most traditional horror.
1: Yeah, I think three. so. Yeah, and it's interesting that your two both have multiple versions. That's an interesting Ooh, yeah. commonality. Well, I think there are multiple versions of *The Shining* too, aren't there? I don't know if well, Kubrick, Kubrick let there if be. If there
0: are, I don't think they're from Kubrick. Well, I think Who there was, was maybe.
2: Say. I could, well, because I found this article when I was doing the music for the the theme. And when he was talking about the music, or maybe that's it. Maybe the music is cut differently. I think he said uh, there was, like, a European release. Hmm. And there was some differences in the music or something like that. Um, plus, I thought it had been released, like, re-released digitally recently or something where something had been changed. Or maybe, maybe it's just the music. But in that article, he was talking about there were differences in the music for different releases. And maybe it had to do with something along the lines of getting the rights of this because, um, yeah, it was all... You know, music from, I think almost entirely living composers that he just threw into his music, into his movies, and I don't know how the rights worked. And gotcha, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought I remember reading that, but I could have been wrong, or it could have just been yeah. Differences so is in this the score
0: out of all the versions of The Exorcist on Earth, just the one you've chosen for us? Um, yeah, I think
2: as far as I know, I think there are only two. Sure. Um, I just I remember you were uncertain about what you would be
0: able to get your hands on. yeah, um, yeah, because is this, this is the one you wanted. yeah
2: mm-hmm. and and yeah, like you and you had asked me a few days ago like, well, what are the differences? And I I can't really remember because since I bought this one back like you know after it came out in around 2000, like I, it's not I don't think I owned the original before that. I had seen it a few times. and I remember when this one came out kind of reading about what was different and like seeing that stuff and being like, oh yeah, that wasn't in the original. But now, aside from the the spider walk down the stairs, <laughs> um, I can't really pinpoint what's different because I've seen this version so many times. You okay. know. Mm-hmm.
0: Um Well, during the episode, I'm sure we'll have a more, more uh, yeah. detail on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us, listeners. Hope you're. Uh... I was gonna make some joke about not being like, having had your fill of scares to join us for the third <laughs> film, but this is are gonna be our scariest. So. Yeah. yeah so too bad you have to watch so <laughs> we, we
2: lured you in with sort yeah. of mild stuff uh,
0: we hope to see you next week goodbye Bye. see ya hey listeners we appreciate you tuning in for our podcast we're now available on iTunes if you'd like to check us out there be glad to have you subscribe we'd also love to hear your feedback whether it's a comment review or anything else you can reach us all through our official Nerds that Geek emails which you can find on the bio page at nerds or if you can find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at Scott underscore W underscore Murray.
1: And then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Joel T
2: And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard and on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more. <laughs>